At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. You can be seated. Thanks so much for being with us today. Well, blessed Memorial Day to you. Is my mic on? Can you hear it? Okay, you're good. There, whoa, yes. Sorry I asked. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I praise God for the beautiful weather he's given to us. Man, can you remember Memorial Day weekend? We're Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. All of it was such beautiful weather. And out of all of that reality, you chose to be here today. Man, way to go. No better place, better place to be, right? I mean, to be in a place where we can worship the creator of all of that, the one who's purchased our greatest freedom, who set us free from all the things that threaten us, and to do that with other brothers and sisters in Jesus, this is a good thing you've chosen to do today. So thank you for doing that. Uh, some of you know that after service, the Barnharts have invited the church family over for for a picnic, if you don't have any other plans, we'd love to have you come. Uh, we'll have a shuttle from this spot right here on our parking lot to take us over into the point uh, down by the water at, at Barnhart's house. Uh, they bring meat to grill. Um, or if you don't want to, Kevin told me, hey, just tell him we've got like 50 hot dogs that we'll grill up. And we got chips and lemonade. So yeah, bring your own stuff unless you don't want to. And they got you covered, all right? So we just love to be together. It'd be a great way to spend this afternoon. All right, let's dive into the Word. Uh, we've, we started a series in the book of Revelation last week, uh, specifically the last three, four chapters, three chapters, uh, Revelation 19 to 22, looking at that last scene as Jesus uh, culminates this incredible plan of redemption that he has been, he and his Father and the Spirit have been uh, playing out all, all the while of human history, ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God uh, and have been living in the chaos that ensued. Jesus has a plan. And thankfully, the Spirit, through his inspiration to the Apostle John, giving him a vision of things to come, John recorded what he saw to give us a glimpse into what will be because you can better live today when you know what will be. And so we, we look, at, look forward to seeing all the different aspects of, of what God's revealed to us. So we'll be looking at, at Revelation 19, starting in verse 11 this morning. But ever, have you ever known someone in one context and then when you saw him in another context, it's like, whoa, I hardly, hardly recognize him. It kind of surprised you that that's the same person. Just uh, maybe three years ago, I was at a small little conference that was held for leaders of multi-site churches. 
and it was held at the uh, Chrysler headquarters there in, in Auburn Hills. Um, and as we had lots of conversation about this strange creature called multi-site churches and how that works, we were able to learn from some of the executives of Chrysler on how they have facilitated a lot of multi-sites in the corporate world, just believing that all truth is God's truth, truth. So what are some things that we can learn and what are some relationships that we can even build with, uh, with the folks there at Chrysler? So it was a very intriguing conference. And I remember one time, um, certainly at the beginning of the conference, in the first, second session, we were doing a breakout group. And I was sitting at a table with seven or eight people from other multi-site churches. And we were working on something that I still have no idea what that was. I just don't remember. It must not have been that significant. I just remember that there was dialogue amongst us and trying to uh, talk about some of the things we've learned and we struggle with and that kind of thing. Well, we get done, take a little break, we come back to our table, sitting with that same group of people, and the, the, the host of the conference is describing our next, series, next session, and it was one of the sessions that I was looking forward to, because uh, it's going to be led by one of uh, the guys that has influenced my life with one of his books he wrote called Hero Maker. His name is Dave Ferguson. It's a wonderfully intriguing book on how to... In, and the importance of investing into the lives of others and creating heroes out of others, like Jesus did with his apostles. Uh, so I was really looking forward to that. And so the guy waxes on eloquently about this, uh, this next speaker, and I'm getting really excited about that, looking forward to it. And then he says, so let's welcome Dave Ferguson. And up from the, my table stands this guy and walks up to the lectern and is like, Dave Ferguson was in my breakout group. Man, would I have talked differently <laughs> if I'd have known that that was who that was. Would I have listened a little more attentively and asked some different questions uh, than I asked? I just didn't recognize him when he changed from one context to the next. Well, we get to Revelation 19, and you are introduced to Jesus. A Jesus you probably know, you know much of his story. Let me do a quick Bible quiz just to make sure you do know something. What city was Jesus born in? There, very, very, very good. Great. And Jesus was born to what two parents? Great, oh, wonderful. Um, when Jesus taught the multitude um, and he gave them the, the ideas of you know, you're blessed if you live this way and you're blessed if you live this way. What do we call those? The Beatitudes. All right, you know, you know Jesus pretty well. So maybe that forms some picture in your mind of this Jesus who ministered with compassion and generosity and kindness and how he ultimately demonstrated his service to us by the way that he, was, he allowed himself to be led to a mock trial, to be arrested and to be put on trial, to remain silent before his accusers, to be condemned to die, and he allowed them to kill him, a horrendous death. Died, buried, they, they placed him in the tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, he showed himself to 500 witnesses, and then in Mount of Olives, he said to them, I'm going back to the Father, but 
after I go, you're going to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses. And then, and then he began to rise and he ascended up to the Father. So when you pray, you think of this Jesus. And when he returns, you're looking for Jesus. The sweet baby grew up to be this compassionate man who humbled himself to the point of death and he offers himself to those that believe. Well, maybe when we look at Romans chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 19, maybe you'll say, this is Jesus? So let's look at this. This is our focus. There's been some debate on these passages, like on the timing of when these certain events are happening, and there's a good place for that. That's good to, to press into those questions. But our focus is on what's been clearly revealed, that one day Jesus will return, and when he does, he will defeat God's enemies. One day Jesus will return, and when he does, he will defeat God's enemies. So let's look at his description of his return. First of all, you'll see in the beginning of verse 11 that he comes as a victorious king. Would you say that with me? A victorious king. Say it with me. A victorious king. Listen to this. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or crowns. He has a name that is written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a description. So out of the heavens comes this white horse of victory. This was common in this Roman Empire age when the conquering general returns with his army that had just won this decisive battle, he rides on a white horse indicating his victory. But this ruler, this victor, is called faithful and true. This makes him distinct from any other ruler that has, has provided any other victory. This ruler is faithful and true. I don't know who you voted for in the last election. Or the one before that. Or the one before that. But can you honestly say that the person you voted for has proven himself or herself to be constantly faithful and true? That every word that they spoke was true. <laughs> every promise they made was fulfilled. 
Oh, that's true of politicians, but let's think of your boss. Is there anyone here that would say, my boss proved himself or herself to be constantly 100% faithful and true? Tracy? Tracy worked for her husband for many years, so she stands and says, yes! Yes, I can. Oh, that would we really truly understand what is faithful and true? Never having error. Never making a mistake. Never living outside of that characteristic of truth. But that's how this person is described. It describes his eyes, the flames of fire. It describes that pure and penetrating view that he sees everything. There's nothing that can be hidden from his sight. It says, seriously, you got bingo already? Wow. So the kids got these little cards to help follow along. And if I say certain words, they can highlight them. And Grace got bingo. Way to go. Yes, give her a hand. <laughs> Good job, Grace. On his head, the, the scripture says, are many diadems or many crowns. If we had read previous chapters of Revelation, you would, you would catch that, oh, this is different. Because previously it described the false prophet who wore seven crowns. Or it describes the beast that wears ten crowns. But this one comes, riding on a white horse, eyes of flame, flaming fire that sees everything, and on his head were many crowns. He couldn't even count them. That's, that's, that's the meaning of that idea. I couldn't count the crowns there. In other words, there's no one that can match his authority. It's not like he rules several different communities or several different nations. He like rules over every other authority. That's this person that comes. It says he has an unknown name, a name that no one knew except himself. It refers to that inability for created beings to truly, fully know the aspects of this leader. Most commentators say that this is a statement of divinity because only the divine couldn't be fully understood. It describes him as having a robe dipped in blood. Sorry, kids, we've got to get a little graphic here. His robe was dipped in blood, and some have, have pictured him just slaughtering the enemies around him and the blood dripping on his... But that's not... I don't think that's it. Because the battle hasn't happened yet. Bingo! Two! <laughs> awesome. Three. All right, all right. No more prizes. <laughs> So, so this, this, is a, this is a robe that he wore. Where did the blood come from? Well, it came from, from him. That seems to be the indication that this one that comes as a victor had his robe dipped in his own blood. This is one that was slaughtered, that was killed on the behalf of others, and now he comes as victor. No one knew his name, but they called him the Word of God, it says. Interesting, that's the same title given to Jesus by the Apostle John at the beginning of his writing of Jesus' life. In the beginning was 
the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As it describes Jesus in these verses, or it describes this one in these verses, it says the only weapon named is a sword. The sword that comes out of his, out of his mouth. That the Word declares his Word. Here's the Word. They called him the Word, and what's he doing? He's speaking words, and, and those words bring victory over all those that come against him. He wins not by physical violence, but he wins by the voice and the thundering declaration of truth that to his word no one can stand. Like Paul recorded in Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And then it says that with him are the redeemed, following him on white horses of victory, are all those that have had their lives transformed by Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is you. Can you ride horse? You know how to handle, how many have taken horse riding lessons? Can I see your hand? One, two, three, four. You're ahead of us. The rest of you, get ready. <laughs> I don't think you'll need a lesson. I think this is, this is something that God will fully enable all of us to come. And is it literal horses? I don't know. All we know is we will be coming with Jesus, clothed fully in righteousness because we have been given that apparel. It's not righteousness. It's not becoming so good now because we work so hard at it. It's, been, it's that we've been transformed by the washing and regeneration of the Word of God. He's transformed us. This is Jesus. This picture is the fulfillment of what Jesus said when he was ascending up to heaven. When he said to them, I'm coming soon. When the angel said, why do you keep staring at the sky? Don't you know he's going to come back? Just like he said he would. Here he is. He comes as a victorious king. Now, don't think for a minute that he kind of takes on this persona and now comes as this conquering king. No, no, this is who Jesus is. In fact, if there's any, I don't know if persona is the right word, but when you think of the description of Philippians 2, that's where it says Jesus humbled himself, didn't cling to that position of being at the, the side of God. Instead, he, he clothed himself as a servant. And he came, humbled himself. In other words, when Jesus came to this earth as a sweet, humble baby and lived in that sweet, humble ministry and demonstrated compassion, he was looking different than how he exists all throughout eternity. So he put on the form of a servant, ascended back to the heaven, now seated at the right hand of the Father, now back into that position as the ruling, conquering king, and that's how he'll return. So let me just ask you this question. When you pray, and as you close your eyes, maybe that's how you pray, and you picture Jesus receiving your, your request, maybe that's what you do when you pray, what do you picture? 
You picture a, a humble, a meek, mild, soft-faced rabbi, teacher, listening calmly to your words, maybe nodding softly once in a while. Is that what you picture? Because if so, I don't think you've got the picture of the true Jesus. Because Jesus, as he's described, and as, as we read the book of Revelation, as he is right now, is a victorious king, crowned with many crowns, with eyes of flaming fire, clothed in fullness of faithfulness and truth, ready to bring victory to all the enemies against him. That's the true Jesus. And he has said, so come boldly, because I've got the power. I have the ability to destroy and break down any stronghold that stands against you. This is who I am. So is that, is that, is that who you picture when you pray? And if not, just imagine how much confidence we'll have when we pray if that's who we believe he is. Sometimes we picture this idea that Jesus is less than who he truly is. Is he meek and mild? Oh, absolutely. Did he, did he fake us out when he came to us? Oh, no, no. But he took on himself human form. He became human for us. But don't limit Jesus to human. He is God. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. So I hope that you see a victorious king. Secondly, in this passage, we see a victorious battle. Revelation 19, verse 17 said, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped in its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Oh, man. This is just a few verses after what we looked at last week. Do you, how many were here last Sunday? It's not to shame anybody. I just want to see how many were here last Sunday. Can I see your hand? Oh, shame the rest of you. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Well, last Sunday, Pastor Chris spoke to all the campuses through technology, and he talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. This great feast that will one day come, that people of all nations and all tribes are invited to come and celebrate all the goodness and the generosity of the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And we were challenged to, now go invite people because everybody, God doesn't, he's not willing that any should perish. So go spread the word to the nations of the world and maybe use your collection of coins and dollar bills or, or paper checks or whatever. Put them in those boxes and bring them because that's going to be part of spreading the invitation to the world. But don't be content with just sending it to other nations. Be a, a witness to right here where we are, right? That was the challenge. Invite people to the feast. And just a few verses later, there's another feast. And the challenge at this feast is, don't go to this one. In fact, warn people of this feast that's coming, because this is the feast of the birds of the air feasting on all the defeated armies. What it seems to be picturing in this graphic image is that when Jesus culminates his final victory over the devil, over the false prophets, over all those that defiantly rebel against Jesus, that when they're finally defeated, there's no ability to stand. There will be no one left to raise a statue in honor of those rebellious kings there will be no monuments raised to those former kings. That's what happens today. You can travel around the world and see some statues and memorials and monuments raised to some terribly cruel leaders. That won't be true on that day. It will be total defeat. All the forces that have waged war against humanity. All that rebellion against the one true God that resulted in degrading human dignity and putting slaves, putting humans as slaves or, or ostracizing and marginalizing and overpowering. All the worldviews that has diminished this, the significance of God's image bearers. All the things like sickness and disease and death that has created such hardship against the people God created, it will all be destroyed with the voice of the conquering king. I don't think we need to picture Jesus actually physically slaughtering people because the sword comes out of his mouth and it's through his word. The final verdict will declare you are conquered and it will be done. Some people have this image in their mind even as they live today in our world. There's this pull and tug between good and evil. You ever sometimes think that? That here's God trying to do his good work to, to kind of push against the powers of the enemy. And here's the enemy pushing against the powers of God. And sometimes it's God wins a little victory. And sometimes the enemy works a little victory. That is so false. God, when we sing about this in some of our songs, God has no rival. He has, there isn't like, there's two forces in this world, the dark side and the light side. That's not how the world is. There is God. And everything else is just waiting for its destruction. 
There is no stress and strain on God's heart that, oh, i got to maneuver things so that I can gain a little territory. Absolutely not. That is not what's happening in this world. God is fully in control. He is sovereignly ruling. And the only reason that Satan still has any authority is because God is simply waiting for more people to trust in him. Or more people to repent and turn to him. God in this moment, just, just with his word, could send his son and all this would happen and everything that threatens us would be defeated. And Maybe it will happen today. The only thing keeping him back is that he wants more people to respond to his grace. He wants more people to repent and turn to him because he knows that if they don't, they will experience the destiny that was designed for that original rebel, Satan himself. What about those who came with him? The redeemed, those who placed their faith in him, the ones that were wearing the white robes of righteousness, riding on white horses. Did you catch? They're coming with the conquering king, but they were clothed in white linen. That's not battle attire. That's, if you're going into battle, don't wear your white linen. <laughs> There's no indication that those followers of Jesus will have to bear the sword and jump out and help him. He needs no help, folks. He needs no help from us. It's his word that will be final and will bring victory. And we simply, as someone has said, we walk in the wake of his victory. Listen to Colossians chapter 2. You who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made you alive together with him, forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in him that we accompany him in his victory. So he goes before. He's got the final word. He is ruling. And one day he will culminate his victory. And we just walk behind. We just walk behind. We walk in the wake of his victory. Think about that, you boaters. Right? That you could walk in the wake. Have you ever been pulled along, maybe in a little inner tube or whatever, by a boat or, or a... Um, water skiing or, or whatever. Ever had that experience? Right? As it, as it pulls you along, if you stay back in the wake, oh man, it's great. It rides. It's fun. It's smooth. It can be billowing around you, but if you're riding inside the wake, it's great. But that cruel driver ahead of you, right, that's pulling you, he looks back and sees, that's not any fun. So he pulls over here and then pulls over here and you slide out of the wake. You pop over the wake and bam, 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 bam. And you fly back and you fly off and he laughs and you've got a broken arm. <laughs> right? That's where the danger is. But that's not who we are. And that's not what he says about us. It describes the conquering king coming and all those that have 
have placed their faith in him, are with him, clothed in white linen, walking in the wake, living in the wake of his victory. And again I ask, is that how we live? Or do we have this idea that I'm not sure I'm strong enough. Temptation comes and it's hard to stand against it and I just keep falling back into that. Well, you must not understand that you live in the wake of victory. There's nothing that those things have to offer for you. All that you need is provided by Jesus himself. That's why living under the surrender, in surrender to the Holy Spirit, that's where there's love and there's joy and there's peace and patience and gentleness because you're living in the wake of his victory. Well, people have said this against me and I feel like they've, uh, they've uh, dishonored me and disrespected me. Well, yeah, that's living outside the wake. Because you're thinking that somebody can add value or take value away from you by what they say and what they do? They can't do that. They have no, they have no power like that. Get back in the wake. And live according to what Jesus says about you. You declared it today. We are more than conquerors through Christ who has saved us. And nothing can separate us from his love and his power and his grace. That's who you are. You don't have to fear the consequences of doing the right thing. Because if he is faithful and true, and as we do what's faithful and true, we can trust that all things will be cared for because we do this as to the Lord. And the Lord always honors those that serve him. So what do you see? When you, when you pray, who do you see? When you live your life, when you get out of bed and begin to walk through your day, how do you view yourself? You view yourself with Jesus, clothed in his rightness, walking in the wake of his victory? Or do you see yourself clamoring and fighting and scrapping somehow to survive? That's not the, that's not the existence he's designed for you. And I think that probably a very important thing for me to ask you today. What feast will you attend? Will, will you be at the feast of the marriage of the Lamb? This is when Jesus comes to be with his people and we'll feast with him. You'll be there if you have placed your faith and trust in him. If there's been a time in your life when you've admitted you desperately need a Savior and you've invited Him to apply His death and resurrection to your account. And if you stubbornly refuse and say, well, maybe one day, or maybe there's a different truth out there that I need to experience first. Be concerned that you might end up being at the other feast, final defeat. The kingdom of heaven is for all those that have responded to his love and his grace and his offer for salvation. Or as Jesus said, those that have the Son have life. Those that do not have the Son do not have life, but the wrath of God will abide on them.
as we responded to his grace. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for giving us this scene of something so, sometimes even a bit scary. But, Lord, when we are on the side of the victor, when, when the king is our leader, the true king who is faithful and true, Lord, there's nothing to fear. We can rejoice. We can even experience a victory today. Oh, yeah, there's people that might harm our body, but nothing can t- touch our soul. Oh, there's some hardship that can come when we follow you in these few days on this earth. But when your kingdom comes, it will be just, Lord, so unworthy of our consideration. Lord, it will far away, that eternal splendor in your presence will far outweigh any pleasure of this moment. So, Father, may we live in your victory. If there's anyone here that has never accepted you as Lord, Lord, may today be the day. Maybe it's one of our kids here. Lord, that, that, that they can hear and understand how much you love them and how much you want to spend forever with them. And they can, in this moment, can respond and, and receive your love and, and receive your invitation to be part of their fam- your family. Maybe it's an adult that has kept you at arm's length and kind of viewed you as just one of the forces out there. Lord, maybe today you open their eyes of their heart and today they're ready to respond to you. Lord, hear them even in this moment as they pray. Father, thank you for sending your son for his death on the cross, for his resurrection. Thank you for the Lamb of God that gave his life to take away the sins of the world. But I thank you for the Lion of Judah. I thank you for the Lion that will come one day to to fully culminate your plan. With a word, tear down all the powers that stand against you. And we can experience eternity with you in your presence. I thank you for who you are. We want to sing of that, Lord. We want, to, we want to commit our hearts to following you, to praising you as the one great and mighty God. So tune our hearts together to sing in this unified voice, Lord, that you are king and we are your servants and we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.